Welcome to Chris in Christ, a show about being redeemed and saying so. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm so excited you tuned in to today's testimony and transparency. Let's stay connected. Follow me on all social media platforms and anywhere you can listen to a podcast. Just put in Chris in Christ. Let's go. First things first, what's on top? What's that thing you've got to get out of your way so that you can focus today? What's up, y'all? What's on top for me today is that I'm being a total brat today. I hate to admit it, but I really am. So you guys kind of know from the first episode about kicking and screaming. Well, I found myself in one of those situations again, and I really did not want to make a decision um, that affected me and someone else. But God had been like wrestling with me kind of the whole time that I was moving forward with the decision. And I was like, I just can't take this wrestling feeling anymore and had to bite the bullet and, you know, make the decision that God wanted me to make. And so that happened recently. And so I'm still in the aftermath of it. I'm in my feelings. I'm upset. I'm pouting. (laughs) I just, my whole mood was off today because I'm just like, God, like, why didn't we do that type of thing? Um, And it made me think that, one, I know I can trust God. So why am I letting my emotions, like, take me over? And it also makes me think about the amazing Poets in Autumn show I saw recently. And, um one of the poets, like his main theme of his merch this year is faith over feelings. And it's just like, bruh, like that's so simple, but like you really got to have faith over feelings. And it made me think about one of probably the most trying time I had to get through um, just last year around this time that made me and forced me to trust God. To be here now in the same predicament of having to trust God and moving through difficult seasons just kind of brings things full circle. Like I trusted him then and I can definitely trust him now. So today is called Tried and True. Because as a believer, you're going to go through many, many trials. And I'm going to share my biggest one to date with you today. Hope you enjoy. Now, if you tuned in for my mom and I's initial sermon, you've heard this story before. So you will be in for another round. But if you haven't, I hope that this blesses you. Because I truly believe deep down that God never wastes a hurt and that all my pain is for a purpose. And so I pray that a part of that purpose today is to bless you and to encourage you. So, even though I'm in a bad mood, let's jump in. So you guys know about my obstacles with um, celibacy and singleness and trying to cut out bad habits from my life. Those are main things that God has been working with me on for the past three years. 
um, that I've been saved. But one of the other biggest things that he's worked with me on is friendship and being able to look at people, not for what I can get, get out of them, but what and how I can serve them and, you know, just valuing them as God values them. Um, so creating friendships have always been difficult for me. And I think when I really look at it, it's because like during school and college and stuff, you know, your friends are people that you might want to party with. Oh, you smoke? I smoke too. We friends. Oh, you like this song? I like this song too. We friends. Oh, you in this class? I'm in this class too. We friends. You know, the bar is a little lower, but I think once you become like a full grown adult, which I would consider myself, mm, not full blown, but you know, I'm getting there. The standard and like the requirements for a friend, they kind of changed and it looks different. So anyway, huge growth area of, of mine. And so God decided he was going to grow me by making me serve other people. And especially someone that I honestly couldn't get much back from besides friendship and things that I should value, like a good listener and someone I can spend quality time with. And God gave me a person who will forever be in my heart. Um, so one day, my ministry leader asked me to pick up this lady that she normally would pick up and bring to singles. Um, but she asked if I could pick her up. And I'm like, sure. So I go pick her up. This lady is hilarious. Firecracker, like super funny, super outspoken. And immediately I was just like, oh, yeah, this is my girl right here. <laughs> We're about to have some good times together. So we ended up spending more time together. We both love to go to the movies. Um, she would kind of like talk to me as like the daughter she never had. And we would share stories and I would just get, um, you know, wisdom and advice from her and things like that. We became close pretty quickly. <laughs> so um, this kind of went on for about a year or so. And she kept me praying, like definitely somebody that I was on my knees for a lot because she's had a really rough life and I would like to pray for her a lot. So um, she gets married and we always had this joke that I was going to, she would always say, girl, you going you gonna to get out the singles ministry before I do. And I'm like, that's a lie. You going to get out before I do. And we we're about maybe 15 years age difference. So that was like our little joke or whatever. And y'all, she got out the singles ministry before I did. She got married. Um, and we talked on the phone one night <laughs> after her, um, her wedding and everything. And she was like, girl, I'm in here trying to clean this house because I'm got to, you know, move in with my husband. And I just don't know what to pack. I've been in this house for so long. Like, I don't know how to consolidate. And she was freaking out about packing up the house or whatever. And I'm like, girl, it's okay. I'm going to come over there. I like to organize things, you know, especially, and I love things that have to do with houses. So I'm like, I'm going to come over there. I'm going to help you out or whatever. So Monday, when I was at work, I get a text message from her husband um, seeing if I've heard from her. 
And I was like, no, nah. like we talked on Saturday and I talked to her briefly on Sunday. Um, and she was saying that she was really tired and she hadn't been sleeping well. Um, I was like, but, you know, let me call her or whatever and see what's going on. So I called her. Didn't get an answer. Um, and I was like, well, it's cool. I got some trash bags. I'm going to just bring it by her house so we can start, you know, doing the house or whatever. So I drove to her house after work. Um, and I go and I go knock on her door. And I was like, you know what, her, she probably sleep. Because she was saying that she didn't um, get any rest the past couple of days. So I go knock on the door. Don't get an answer. And I'm calling her name, you know, just trying to see if she could hear me. Because she don't like people at a house. Like, she don't do strange people. <laughs> like, only the select few can come to her house. I was a part of that select few. But still, I wanted to show my respect. <laughs> so... I go back to the front door and I knock and I had tried to twist the door open, but it didn't work. So I knocked again and the door just like, it was like magic. Like it just opened up, pressed forward and opened. I was like, hmm, okay. So I step in and I'm calling her name um, because I want her to hear me and not be freaked out. I'm calling her name, calling her name, stepping through the house. And I go to the left. I'm looking like in each room in the house. And, you know, you can imagine if you're about to move, things are all over the place trying to sort and things like that. So I have to look really closely because y'all know I got bad eyesight. <laughs> but I'm looking closely to, you know, see if I can see her. And I'm also trying to be loud so she knows I'm there. So I'm looking. I'm stepping through the house, stepping through the house. And I walk back to her bedroom. I look in the room and um, I see her wedged in between her bed and her side nightstand. I see her legs sticking out towards me and a pillow over her face. And so I'm like, oh, Lord. I remember that she lived across the street from a police officer. So I ran out the house, ran to see him, knocked on his door like crazy. And I'm like, he opens the door and I can't even talk. But I'm like, you got to come follow me. I think I was able to manage to get those words out. And uh, he comes, comes and sees her. I show her where she is. He's like, this is how it was when you came in. I was like, yeah. Exactly. I haven't touched anything. I'm like, I haven't touched anything. Um, and I'm trying to be as calm and like collected as I can because I have to answer this man's questions. Uh, he calls it in on his radio and he was off, but he had his radio with him, calls it in. Police come. So I'm thinking, OK, maybe she took too many pills and, you know, she took sleeping pills, um, you know, and the uh, EMS come and I see them and I'm like, oh, thank God they're here. Like they can like detox her or do something to get the medicine out of her system, you know, and, you know, things will be great. So I'm stepping, I'm standing on my car, like leaning against my car outside. See the EMS. I'm like, awesome. Yay. They're here. Things are going to be fine. 10 minutes pass, maybe. The medics come out the house, get 
back in the van and just drive off. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, they, you know, she's in there. She's good. Like, they're just up, you know, they left her. She's good to go. Like, they're, she's in there, you know, breathing, recovering, and all that. Then I see more police. And I see, like, unmarked cars and people with suits get out. And then I see a white van that comes. And that thing said morgue on the side of it. (laughs) And that's when I lost it. I freaking lost it. And I'm like, yo, my friend is dead. And I found her. Who would want to hurt her? Now, honestly, my thoughts were she OD'd, you know, or something like that. Because I knew she was on meds. So I was like, okay, it's very possible. That's what happened. But then, all the detectives and stuff were asking me about a gun, about a gun, about a gun. I was like, yeah, I saw the gun. They're like, do you know she was shot in the chest and she has gunshot wounds? I said, no. All I could see was, like, her leg sticking out. And the rest of her was covered. I didn't see any blood. I mean, but I also took a quick glance. I saw someone on the floor and I went to get help. But when I think about it, when I was walking through the house, once I got closer to the bedroom, I could smell this smell. This unforgettable smell. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but just think of like death. Like that's what it's, it was a horrible smell. And it got closer with every step. But my adrenaline was on a thousand, so I wasn't thinking. I wasn't really processing anything. I just wanted to find my friend. And then the homicide detective comes and asks me questions. And the whole time, like, homicide? What are y'all even doing here? <laughs> so I stayed there till about midnight that night. Until it was time to go and the detective said I could leave get home, call my dad, because that's who I call all the time, (laughs) especially when I have issues. And I'm like, hey, I think I've had the worst day I've ever had in my life today. Granted, I'm dramatic, so I normally call him and tell him that after a bad day at work, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, no, pal, this time, this is the worst day of my life. We talk. Because he's been in law enforcement for over 30 years. And so he's trying to like ask me the rational questions. And every every answer I have for him is just, I don't know. I don't know. Detectives aren't telling me nothing. I just don't know. Sleep was impossible that night. All I could do is get flashbacks of my friend on the ground. What I saw, the smell, just the constant flashbacks and the memories haunting me. I remember being in the car, I text my job, and I'm like, hey, 
won't be in tomorrow. <laughs> it's a bereavement day. Like, leave me alone. Because I really couldn't think from that time forward. So, the two hours of sleep I did get. I woke up. Called my dad again. Checking on me. And he says, hey, um. Didn't want to tell you last night. Because I knew you had a rough night. But your grandma died last night as well. <laughs> I said. What? <sighs> you gotta be kidding me. So not only am I. Preparing and. Trying to sort the own, my own nightmares out. And thinking about the things that my friend said she wanted for her funeral. Now I ought to prepare, hop on a plane, go a thousand miles to go to my own grandmother's funeral. Went there on that Sunday. Bawled my eyes out at the funeral. Get back. Started to go back to work. Still making plans for my friend's funeral. To find out that some of her family had a funeral already. Private one. Was not invited, nor was I told about it until after the fact. So now I'm pissed. Because the last memory I have of my friend is her being carried out in a body bag. Didn't get to say goodbye. Didn't get to play her favorite song. Didn't get to put her in her favorite suit. None of that. And those are all things that she really cherished and told me this is what I want. I'm stressing. And what do I do when I stress? I eat. I'll never forget that Thursday. So it's only a week from one week from everything happening. That Thursday, I leave work. I was able to get out for like a quick 10 minutes, which is unheard of. But anyway, I was able to escape. And I'm like, Rally's has 60 cent burgers. I'm about to go get some from everybody. I'll be right back. I drive maybe four blocks. Bam. Car crash. T-boned. Hit by an F-150 truck. All I know is I saw the truck and then my whole body moved from my passenger, uh, my driver's seat to my passenger seat. And when I opened my eyes finally, I just hear this man saying, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, huh? Everything's smoky. There's glass everywhere. And I'm just like, yo, I died. I died, but I'm here now. And I hear this man's voice. And I was able to get up. I'm bleeding. Cut up. I was able to get out. And all I could think of was, dang, I had one more car insurance payment to pay. And then my car insurance is about to go down by $200. I said, forget that plan. Now I'm going to be paying car insurance the rest of my life. Those are my thoughts. Ugh. And my car was totaled that day. But I wasn't. 
And I thank God for that. So in one week's time, I go through three traumatic experiences that some people might experience in one lifetime. All the while, not getting any answers from police. All the while, haunted from my memories and my visions of my friend. All the while, still mourning and grieving my grandmother. All the while, still trying to go to work and make sure that everything goes back to normal. As I did this, God was like, "Uh uh-uh, sit it on down. It's lesson time. I'm like, no. I went to the emergency room. Uh, No, I refused to go to the emergency room, but I did go to urgent care after the accident. Um, My friends come and force me to go. I did not want to go. And um, they're like, oh, you know, you're roughed up, whatever. And you have um, a concussion, so we're going to give you this packet. And it said, like, if I experience any shortness of breath or anything, like, go back to the hospital immediately. And I'm like, I'm not about to go to no hospital. Um. And also I had to be on sleep watch and, you know, woken up every hour to make sure like as when I when I go to sleep that night that I don't like slip away. So I go home. My friends are like super helpful. They got like Epsom salt for the bath and clothes. They got food and everything like the house. The house had already been like an open revolving door because people were coming to check on me about my friend and about my grandmother and. I went to a Baptist church, so, you know, people bring in food and they want to sit and talk and chat, you know, and be hospitable. And I just never forget, I was sitting there. My friend was combing the glass out of my hair. Made me take a freaking bath with the Epsom salt. I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. And I'm just laying there, body sore as I don't know what. Brain scattered, thoughts all over the place, can barely remember, like, much of anything. And I had one of my mentors tell me, like, God's trying to tell you something. I need you to be still and listen. Well, guess what? I had no choice because I'm sitting there, hurt, brain all messed up, tired. So I just laid on the couch for days. Laid on the couch, answered phone calls. Everybody's calling. My mom, my parents, everybody's calling me. Oh, are you okay? What can I bring you? And y'all know I hate that. (laughs) I hate that. I love to be alone. I'm still learning to, like, accept people when they want to show love. Anywho. It's like, God, what is it? Why am I going through all of this? Why don't I know anything about my friend? Why am I not getting answers? Why did you spare me from that car accident? And God told me, he was like, this is a lesson of I need you to be okay with not knowing everything. And let me figure this out and let me handle this. I was like, oh, Lord. I think one of my biggest mistakes was just being so desperate for answers and being so desperate for normalcy. 
that maybe after two, three days after the accident, I went back to work limping, <laughs> limping around. Kids asked me, Miss Marcus, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm good. Don't worry. Class is still in session. I'm going to see you at six period. You know, don't play games with me. I'm still going to lay the hammer down. And it just got harder and harder to stay alert at work. I would walk like from my classroom to the bathroom, which was maybe 30 feet and would get so winded as if I just ran a marathon. And I remember on that paper at the urgent care, it said like, if you feel shortness of breath, call, go to the hospital immediately. I hate hospitals, y'all. I was not about to go to the hospital. But anyway, my friends made me go. So I go to the emergency room. And what they say is, oh, let's do a CAT scan. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, you're going to be pretty sore after the accident. I was like, yeah, I understand. You know, but it's like, I'm not sore. Like, I'm moving slow, but I'm not sore. I'm just super fatigued and I can barely breathe. I can barely finish my sentence and I'm scared. Like, I, I was in mid teaching and just fell asleep. And I'm like, this is not real. Like, I know I had a concussion and all that, but like, there's something else. And they're like, oh, well, don't worry. So I ended up leaving there with, what's that muscle relaxer they give you? It starts with an M. I can't think about it, but they were like, take this. You know, it's pretty normal after car accidents. And I'm like, y'all, y'all are not listening to me. I'm telling y'all what my issue is. That muscle, my, my muscles aren't tense. I don't need a muscle relaxer. So now I didn't waste all this money. Then came to this stupid hospital and y'all are giving medicine, giving me medicine that I don't even need. Like this was such a waste of time. Did the CAT scan, no broken bones, which I knew already. Did the x-rays, nothing. I knew that already. So I'm so frustrated, y'all. I'm just like a huge ball of fury, confusion, and sadness. And I didn't want to let any of that out. And I just went home and I took the stupid muscle relaxer, which made my thoughts and my brain and my memory even worse. I had the craziest dreams. I was freaking out. My anxiety was super high. And I'm like, bruh, this can't be life right now. It can't be life. When I call my friends and my parents are like, we don't know what to do. Are you sure you don't want to see somebody? Like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I just want people to listen to me and like really, really hear me when I say like, you know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that whoever killed my friends going to come kill me or something, you know, like I have so many thoughts. But at the end of the day, I just want everything to be normal again. And I rushed for that to happen. And it literally just ruined me. Didn't take time to process didn't take time to heal. And so now, six months later, I'm lashing out at people. I have the shortest views. I'm super temperamental. I'm jumpy whenever I get in the car. Mind you, how I go to school every day, I pass where I got my lights knocked out. So I pass the accident scene every single day. Every time I get in the car and think I'm going to die, I just prepare myself. I'm super tense. And I'm just ready for, like, I'm just ready for death. I'm looking for it. Like, I know I'm about to die. I know I'm about to die. It's about to happen. Just when and where. That was my mindset 
24-7. In my neighborhood, I would hear a lot of gunshots. And I'm like, puts me on edge. And I was like, this can't be life. Can't be. Can't be life. One thing that I could say is that I could feel when people prayed for me, I felt it. Like I could feel the change. I could feel weight being lifted off my shoulders. When people call and say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. But when people would call and actually pray with me right then on the spot, I felt a relief. And slowly but surely, I started to change. And God showed me, he was like, it's time for you to go talk to somebody about this. Because you've got deeper issues than you think you do. And your pride, you and that stinking pride, is hindering you from healing and getting you where I need you to go. So I went to therapy. We talked about PTSD. We talked about back-to-back trauma. We talked about allowing myself to feel things and permitting it. I had to make the decision to heal because I wasn't about to get the answers. I wasn't getting the normalcy that I craved. And then when I did get normal days, I didn't even know how to appreciate them because I'm always on edge. Worked through my six to eight weeks of my therapy. The therapist, this is the second therapist has told me this, which is a testament to how good God is. She was like, It's rare that I ever see a turnaround case like yours. She's like, you have blossomed from the first day you walked in to the last day. She's like, I'm so excited for you. You're one of my easiest cases. And I'm like, that's God, but thank you. And thank you for working with me because I know I'm difficult. So if I had to boil it all down to a scripture, some of the ones that got me through these horrible times. One would be Psalms 34, 19, that says many are the afflictions, the problems, the trials of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And then First Peter 4 and 13, it says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if it's something strange is happening to you. Instead, be very glad For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. The book called Crushing by T.D. Jakes was also really helpful. Um, Unexpected by Christine Kane was a good read as well. It was all about trials. And that as a Christian, I don't know why I thought I was going to live this howdy-doody life easy and breezy life when it promised me in the Bible that there's more promises of having trials and tough times than there probably is anything else. I don't know. I have to fact check that. But just know there are tons of promises that we are going to struggle in this life because this is not our home. This is the preschool to get us ready for eternity. So it's going to be full of tests and trials. But we're to count it all as joy. And they counted all his opportunities of God changing us into him. God does not care about our comfort. He cares about developing our character. 
And so, yes, they are fiery trials, but the fire is used to bring out impurities. When people, when the gold makers make gold, they fire it up so that all the impurities can rise to the top and that the value of the gold can be pure and the value is expensive and rare and and quality, high quality. So if you're going through a trial or if you got hit back to back to back and you feel like you just cannot win, I'm letting you know that God is going to bring you through. And instead of asking, why is this happening? You need to be asking, what do I need to be learning from this? How do I need to be improving in this moment, in this season, when I can't see, when I can't hear, when I can't do anything but trust God? What things need to rise to the top and need to be skimmed away? For me, it was pride, not allowing myself to feel, having to be a know-it-all and know all the answers. God's like, I want you to trust me for that. Because I got it under control. And he does have it under control. So I pray this encouraged you today. Was it easy to get through? No. Do I still suffer sometimes? Yes. But do I have a testimony? And am I so grateful for the life that I still have? Do I miss my friend like crazy? Yes. Have I had a car since that other car? No. I've been a pedestrian. But God is taking care of me every single step of the way. So don't think it's strange when you go through things. God is with you every step of the way. So as God brought you through some fiery trials, I want to hear about them and I want to hear you say so. Let me know. Leave me a comment, message, text, email, whatever it is. Let me hear you say so. Let me hear your testimony. That's a wrap for today's episode of Chris and Christ. Thanks so much for tuning in and I can't wait to hear from you again. Let's keep in touch. Follow me on all social media platforms at Chris and Christ. Until next time, remember, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of your testimony. Be blessed. Hey, play my music.